Chapter 13 of Christus Consolator, Words for Hearts in Trouble, by Handley Mole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An Epilogue. Nevertheless, afterward. In that world, three enemies we have known too well on earth shall be seen no more forever. Sin will be gone, they are without fault. Grief will be gone. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Death will be buried. They cannot die any more. H. Mary Mole Lord, it belongs not to my care whether I die or live. To love and serve thee is my share, and this thy grace must give. My knowledge of that life is small, the eye of faith is dim. But tis enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with him. Baxter an epilogue, nevertheless afterward. No chastening, for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless afterward. The words occur in a deeply sympathetic paragraph in the epistle to the Hebrews. Pain and trial are in question, and the disciplinary work of grief. Grief, we are reminded, comes not by chance to the Christian, it is the choice and gift of a father who loves his children too truly and too wisely to leave them spoiled, unchastened. The process is distressing. This is frankly and tenderly owned. We are not to affect, not to feel it. But it is all on purpose. It is to prepare us for a great and untroubled joy to follow. Be patient. Your father means infinitely well. He hurts you today, but tomorrow will explain all in a joy unspeakable. Nevertheless, afterward, I am about to bid my stricken friend adieu. As we part, I wish to let that great afterward, that serene and wonderful hereafter, lay its anodyne upon your pain. Nevertheless, afterward, thou shalt know hereafter. I say farewell with a bold reverence of heart. It is a bold thing to speak to souls called to the solemn dignity of heavy sorrow. The would-be consoler recollects that his reader, very likely, has much the better right to be the instructor. Let whatever the consoler has tried to say be taken as chastened by that thought. Yours, O friend, is a grief, as we have already remembered, touched with the light of a great glory a country unspeakably dear, a cause as righteous, as approvable before God as ever called for the patriot's sacrifice, these things have brought you your tribulation. The tears by bards and heroes shed alike immortalize the dead. And your dear one has suffered, has been maimed, has been slain in a conflict in which the noblest poets and greatest leaders of men might find endless occasions for the tribute of their wonder and their tears. This is not everything. Alas, you know it, in the depths of your sad soul. But it is something. A great loss suffered for right, for love, for God, means a mighty gain afterward. And how nobly have you, and such as you, responded to the call to suffer such glorious but bitter loss. Before me lies a note edged with black. It is written by a much-honoured friend. We had read of her bereavement, the death of her son, and we had asked that the parents, so dear to us, would come for a while, if they cared to do so, from the toils of a great and prominent parish to the quiet of our old dwelling. 
the answer is graciously affectionate, but the visit must not be. I wish we could, but my husband is particularly busy. He feels that he does not want to fail in his duty when our dear boy died doing his duty to the last. How can I but bow my head in homage to such a grief so accepted, and almost ask its forgiveness that I have talked to it so long? But the last word, after all, very humbly spoken, shall be a sursum corda. It shall point towards the name of Christus Consolator, and the hope of the afterward of God. The grief is noble, but it will only rise to yet nobler phases, as the bearer of it looks upward, beyond all disciplines and mysteries, and affirms to his or to her stricken heart, that yet afterward sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The immortal sun shall yet change the clouds into glory. It shall yet show the fragmentary masses of inexplicable mystery to be pillars and arches in a temple infinitely beautiful whose builder and maker is God. Let me, by way of parable, simply record two sights which I have seen, and then take my leave. Parables, to be sure, prove nothing, but they can lift and lighten thought and faith. And because all things truly good and fair come, ultimately, from one all-beauteous mind, it is at least possible that the analogies and illustrations exchanged between such things are more than chance and fancy. Several years ago I was conducted, one Saturday night late in the year, over Westminster Abbey. A friend, familiar with the marvellous church, was my guide. With a lantern in his hand he ushered me in by a private door, and we made our exploration. Aisle, nave, choir, royal chapels, all were traversed through the vast shadows, while the narrow light just made our walking possible, and threw gleaming hints of bulk and shape upon the immense world of structure around us and above us. An almost oppression of mystery occupied my senses. I had often seen the abbey by daylight, but it now seemed something other. An undiscovered wilderness of uncomprehended space, and majestic but bewildering form, half shown, half hidden by the struggling lamp. The giant pillars soared into a dark void. The archers sprang to meet I saw not what. Relation was cast into a confusion which seemed to defy the mind's effort to construct. The morning came, radiant with a clear autumnal sun. The Sunday's matins began, and I stood in a stall within the glorious choir. The mysteries of the night were now the miracles and splendours of the day. The majesty of the surpassing temple shone before me, all the more majestic for the order, the relation, the sublime adjustment, the reason, the mind that looked upon my mind through it all. Walls, columns, arches responded to each other and dignified each other till mass was etherealized into grace, all crowned and unified by the marvellous roof which had been so impenetrably hidden by night, hanging so very far above the poor lantern's reach. Was it not a parable? It was a parable set as a soul-moving anthem, though the music came only through the eyes, and the words of it were the words of the Lord Jesus spoken beside a sepulchre to a sister's broken heart. Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe thou shouldst see the glory of God? Another sight was given me on a later occasion. I was in Switzerland, spending a winter fortnight in beautiful Beatenbergdorf, a village which climbs far along the side of the mountain's mass which bears the name of Ireland's missionary saint, Beatus, and looks down from its eyrie on Interlaken and the town of Thun. It was Sunday, 
and the sun was gloriously bright. I sat a while in the village churchyard, and read, now some moving epitaphs near me, now a book that lifted the thoughts above, the air was warm as in May. Meanwhile, below me, by a hundred feet or so, what did I see? The lake was invisible, and interlaken too, but the vast hollow of the Tunersee looked as if it were floored, far above the waters, with a plain dazzling white. It was as if a broad mere were there, frozen into a solid level, and snowed all over, smooth and even, while the cloudless winter noon so dwelt upon it and in it that it glittered and radiated one wide sheen of living light. What was it? It was the Nebelmeer, the mist sea. It was nothing but the upper side, the sunward side of a cloudy day. If I had walked down to Interlaken, I should have found myself under the grey canopy of the winter. If I had not been aloft before, I should have idly imagined, very likely, that the whole vault of air, as high as air extends, was likewise colourless and cold, sad with an oppression on the spirits, an all-prevailing world of cloud and fog. Yet only two thousand feet above the plain, all the while there lay the top, the surface of the gloom. And that was one broad, snowy glory shining moonlike, in answer to a triumphant sun. Was not this also a parable? And it came yet more directly from the faithful Creator than even that given me by the human miracle of Westminster. Did not the Nebelmeer speak of God to the heart? It repeated in the language of light the promise of the friend of man, your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Take a few more steps upward, O friend, in faith and patience. Then you also shall look down, in the light of your eternal sun, and in the secure companionship of your beloved, and you shall see the splendour of the transfigured clouds. Heaven, there all the millions of his saints shall in one song unite, and with each the bliss of all shall view with infinite delight. Doddridge End of chapter 13 End of Christus Consolator Words for Hearts in Trouble by Handley Mole